This episode is sponsored by Mint Home Loans. With mortgage interest rates nearing all-time lows, now is the time to see what options you may qualify for. Make Mint Home Loans your trusted partner for all your mortgage needs. In today's times, your money matters. Shop local with Mint at 410-458-6847 for any home loan questions you may have. Welcome to Life's Tough. You can be tougher. I'm Dustin Plandle, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, they have a story. Our guest today is John Irwin, renowned American Christian film director and producer, screenwriter, and author. John, along with his brother Andrew, have had four feature films all opening in the top 10 movies in America and collectively grossing more than $100 million at the U.S. box office. John's most recent book is titled Beyond Valor, a World War II story of extraordinary heroism, sacrificial love, and a race against time. John, welcome to the show. Dustin, how are you, man? Thanks oh, for having me on. Wow, what's going on, buddy? Look, we had a lot of fun in the pre-show uh, and, you know, you are a man of many talents. I mean, you have been a director, producer, and now you've got a book coming out. I mean, talk about that. What, what's it like to be a, a writer? I mean, you've written for shows, but now you're writing in a different capacity. Well, ultimately, to me, what I love to do is tell stories, you know? Uh, I work in a company called Kingdom. My brother and I make movies and uh, documentaries, and, and now I've, I've written this book, Beyond Valor. But ultimately, I love the idea that the right story can entertain, certainly, but also, you know, uplift and motivate and inspire and bring people hope. And uh, I love doing that, you know, just so this is a different way to tell a story. But ultimately, I just I, I love having the privilege of telling stories to people that um, can entertain and uplift and inspire. And uh, and I get to do that for a living, and, and I'm very grateful for the people that have um, whether watched one of our films, like I can only imagine, or uh, you know the documentaries. That Which was a tearjerker, by the way. So I'm a grown man telling Thank you, you. <laughs> first and foremost. I, I cried. I cried. <laughs> I'm not denying it, it John. I, I credit Dennis Quaid for that. I just think he gave such an authentic uh, performance. I mean, I just think it's very unique in his body of work. It was a great story, true story. And, uh, and I do gravitate to, towards true stories. And uh, look, I think, I think the right story can, can change your life if you let it. And I just love uh, telling stories. And, and uh, it's a privilege to have that. I, I literally wake up. I, I can't believe I get to do this job. I mean, I'm, I'm completely underqualified, undereducated. I was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. I had to do kindergarten twice because <laughs> I was an ADHD disturbance to the class. And uh, I sort of lied about my age when I was 15 to work for ESPN and just join the, the circus of in, the entertainment industry. And it began and so, for you. But you were a senator's son. I mean, yeah. how did you – how? what was that? <laughs> yeah. What was it like growing the, up, man? My, my dad's kind apple, of a big deal. You might have heard of him. I mean, what was that like for I, you? I think the apple fall – fell far from the tree. I'm like this entertainer, you know, my dad is, is, is definitely a straight arrow. He, he, my dad started in radio actually and, uh, talk radio. And so I grew up sort of behind a mixer in Alabama and then he was dabbling in television. So I started working with him in television when I was 12. And then that started my career when I was 15 
and uh, and then he went in he he went into politics for about a decade, and I do tell people all my complete education for how to deal with the sort of the the politics and shark infested waters of of the entertainment industry with my dad's uh, two terms uh, in in local politics you know state, yeah. southern state politics that is, must is have awesome. been pretty tough I mean in Alabama being a politician yeah yeah it's you know it's it's uh, I think. You know, I like that that Benjamin Franklin quote: "Politics is the art of the possible," and you just see how to sort of navigate uh, things. And and uh, but I love my dad, and and he he when I was uh, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, and when when I was uh, fifteen, he bought me a camera, uh, and uh, with money he didn't have, and told my brother and I to dream bold, uh, dream big, dream the impossible. And uh, we've been trying to take him up on that bet ever since. So I, I definitely uh, I definitely love him and love the South. So I'm in I'm in Nashville, Tennessee today. And, and tell me about when did you start, did you always bond with him or was there a moment in your life where you knew like you, you earned his respect or, uh, he was really proud of you. I mean, was, was there something along the way that happened? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, so that's a process of growing up, right? I mean, I think, um, I think, you know, my, my grandfather who, who, uh, the book I wrote is about, you know, was a recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor. And so you sort of, for a while you carry that as the weight, like, what am I going to do to live up to my own name? And uh, certainly my dad, uh, you know, uh, was two-term state senator and on the radio. And I say, you know, I've always had a great um, relationship uh, with my dad, thank God. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, he's just a great guy and he's always sort of believed in my, in my dreams. And to his credit, I don't think I had to earn that. Uh, I think it was sort of freely given and, uh, and that's, a, that's a privilege, you know. But, but I, I did sort of live under the weight of like, what am I going to do? What am I going to become? And you got to sort of become your own person. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, your dad being a senator, to, did you ever feel that it was a competition or did he say, hey, bud, I want you to go find what you're good at, find your purpose? That's a good question, man. I mean, I think there's a natural pressure. Yeah, when your granddad is a recipient of the Medal of Honor and your dad's a state senator and you're like, God, what am I going to do? You know, um, but I just think, and I did live under that for a while and it probably led to just this sort of uh, performance mentality um, that on the one hand, you know, was probably um, a part of my career on the other hand. Uh, Cause I did, I did start out very, very early it was uh, your on fuel. the other hand. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes those things can, can not that they're good in their nature, but they can do good things for you, you know? And, uh, but I did over time have to sort of come to a realization that, that uh, you know, I don't have to, live up to anything. I just have to find my passion and live in it, you know? And that's, that's sort of uh, what makes life truly good is just to, is just to find your, your unique ability and your passion and just, you know, live in it as much as you can. Yeah. And I've always looked at it from another angle or perspective. So uh, a little bit to my story, my dad uh, was a hardcore biker, a uh, member of a white supremacist gang in California, sentenced to prison for 16 and a half years. Uh, and I went into foster care. Uh, and I look at the I didn't have to beat anything other than that. To me, well, that was quite easy. All I had to do was stay away from those things that took down my father and anything else I did in life, well, I would succeed or I would excel. You, on the other hand, you had a high-performance individual that, that would push yeah. you or would look at you or at least in your own mind saying, look at my family, my grandfather, my dad, that that pressure, you used it as fuel where others, they find those other things to put on the band-aid. So talk about that. Was there a moment in your life along the way that that you found faith or did was it always there? 
Yeah, that's a good question. And it's the same for you. You know, it's um, in the in the worst of circumstances, turning those things into fuel for to, to fuel your ambition, I think, is a big part of life. And uh, so for me, um, yeah, I think that there was a, there was a part of me that sort of lived under the pressure of it. And for whatever reason, um, I think I interpreted that as a, as a, as the design, you know, I, I started very early in a quest to achieve, you know, and a quest to, um, you know, prove my <laughs> worthiness to exist, probably in my own family. But, uh, and whether that's bad, it was effective. You know, I think later on in life, I had to sort of, um, find a, a balance, uh, between just, again, just enjoying, enjoying life and enjoying what I love to do and, 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 and learning that I could be most effective, um, with what I could do. Like I remember the first time we won, my brother and I used to direct music videos, um, mostly before we did feature films. And I remember the first time we won video of the year, we had like five nominations and, uh, Incredible. which was a lot. And, uh, and I remember it was on like tel- live television just sitting up on the stage thinking like, is this all this feels like? So sometimes it was a little empty because I was chasing it sort of for the wrong reasons. And so I, th- I think I learned, I let it be fuel for me for a long time of like, I'm going to outperform and outachieve. Um, which can be helpful, but it can also leave you empty. And then, and then I think later on, I just learned to, to do it, you know, to, to enjoy, uh, to, to enjoy life and enjoy, um, you know, the gifts that God had given me and enjoy what I was, what I was sort of like, uh, I felt a strong sense of, um, you know, purpose in doing, which was to tell stories, you know, but it, it takes, man, it takes time to just get there, you know, but, but I think in whatever, there is something to whatever deck of cards, um, life has dealt you good or bad, you know, turn those into fuel to drive your ambition. Absolutely. So what happens when you, you've reached the top? I mean, to someone like myself, a younger filmmaker that you've reached the pinnacle, you have been at the place where you had the, you had the top scores. You you're on the same level in certain areas as a Steven Spielberg and the movies that you created. <laughs> Which, I mean, yeah. but you are, Yeah, yeah. You, you've done things that others yeah. would say are impossible. You've reached those goals what is the next? How do you even set a goal that can surpass something that to me is so incredible? Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is it's sort of creatively dehabilitating if you, if you, if you focus on it too much, like I can only imagine was this incredible, nobody believed in the film. And, uh, so we had to raise the money both to make it and to distribute it. Um, so that opening weekend was sort of like an all in moment and everybody said it would fail thought it would fail um said it would do said music biopics were dead which is in hindsight is dumb you know in, in the days of bohemian rhapsody and everything like that. um but at the time those type of films weren't working and um it was sort of this all in play and and you know instead of opening at two to four million we we're supposed to open to 17 and end up doing 85 million in, in box office and, and incredible becoming the number one independent film of the year um the th- interesting thing though is like it's so much fun to sort of be the underdog and and be relentlessly chasing a goal once you have it success is weird it, it's sort of foggy in a way and uh can you really even and, enjoy it so I mean, do you ever are you able not, to enjoy not, well, it or no, is it like this weird thing you're like well i know it's doing well and i'm people think i'm kind of awesome but i'm focused on the next like do you ever get well to yeah i mean i think it? i think that the biggest thing that I felt with, I can only imagine, um, you know, they say that the best emotion you can feel in the entertainment business is relief, you know? And so I, I probably felt this extraordinary sense of relief and certainly it was life changing, led to an extraordinary deal with a movie studio called Lionsgate 
and uh, yeah, they're kind of a lot of movies. Yeah, that's a they're, that's a real small nerd. Could you have chosen someone better than that? Like, what's the matter with you? I love them, man. I love that studio. I love the people there, <laughs> and I love group. the deal that we have. Um, but uh, you know, there was this. I remember the first meeting after we struck a deal, and and it was a really generous deal. Um, that you know, there's all these you know, there's 14 executives in a boardroom all looking at you like, you know, what do you got? What's next? You know, and there is almost dehabilitating sense of pressure to, 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 you know, replicate something that was an anomaly, you know, and, and, um, and you can, you can implode in that pressure after success. Success has a lot of things that I didn't expect it to have. Um, and, and you can also die in comparison. Like there's always like, you know, somebody way ahead of you. There's always someone way behind you. So to me, I just embraced the idea that success is the result. It's the, it's a byproduct. It's not something to success is a byproduct of incremental improvement, you know, over long periods of time. And I think a lot of us way overestimate what we can do, uh, in the short term, you know, uh, but we way underestimate what we can do in, in the long term, which is a few changes, you know, yeah. And so I think that success is a byproduct of incremental measured improvement. And so to me, the only person that I'm fighting is just, which is, it's, it's the tough battle of life. It's myself, you know, to just try to improve and uh, to try to just get better and better at, 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 at the craft and, uh, and the job and just not really think about the result, but think about the audience that we serve and the craft of film and just getting better and better and better at it every day and, and just that incremental improvement. And so to me, the more I focus on just, the more I can be at war with myself and the more I can compare myself with myself, uh, the more freeing it is to just get better. And uh, as opposed to, you know, you look at other filmmakers that are, that are like, uh, you know, way ahead, you know, and, uh, and guys that I've gotten to know that have, that have really sort of give me a ton of life advice and taught me how to direct and are way ahead of me, you know? And then there's people that, you know, but then I've, I've, I've accomplished things and, and been a part of successes that, that I never, that other people spend their whole career and never get to do. So yeah. you can kind of, to me, the, the only thing to do is to look at, to, to look at yourself and to try to improve and to try to um, just get better than you were the day before and that, be constantly a, learning it's, it's and then let, let, the, the, let of, the results happen. That's a very humble way of putting it. And, and I must say that you're right, that that pressure, that once you've already reached the top, the expectation is you can do, and you're going, I don't know if I can replicate that. That was that. There'll be something else yeah, that'll be yeah. different, but you can't compare that, you know, I can imagine or some other to the future because you have to now come out and be creative. So where do you find inside of you with all of the distractions around us and kids and families and all of these distractions being thrown at John Irwin, how do you focus in, hyper-focus in, to allow that creative side of you to come out? That's a great question, man. It's like, um, you know, the, the, the more of life that you have and the more of the things that people tell you will make you happy that really don't, the more of it that you have, whether it's, um, you know, money or success or whatever, the more clouded that pure sort of reason why you do the job um, gets. And uh, it's hard to, to, to maintain. And there's a lot of other things that, um, that come into play that, that distract, you know, and, and, um, and there's, and there's pressures to deliver and there's deadlines and, um, and, 
you know, it's hard. And I think to me, one of the best, I mean, for anybody that's a writer listening um, specifically or a creator of any time, I think the best advice I could give you in terms of like life hack, I don't follow it near as much as I should, but it's like sort of to manage your energy, not your time and put your best energy towards the most important things. And I, I read a book that I really liked called, I love to read and, uh, and uh, called Deep Work. And it talked about you know, three or four hours of uninterrupted, like get, get off your cell phone, get off of social media. Like what, what can you, you can accomplish in these blocks of total concentrated time is enormous. And, uh, so I think the key is to know yourself and like, I'm best in the mornings in terms of writing. And so if I can wall off those hours from everything and just protect them and be proactive and, and write like the hardest part of writing for me is just to start writing. Like I hate it. It's such, it's such hard mental work. Um, but to me, if you can just say, I'm going to dedicate these hours of when I'm at, when I'm at my best. And for some people that's like midnight to 4am, whatever, but whatever, whenever you're the best, try to dedicate those hours to what you can do that makes the most impact. And, um, to me, if I can dedicate the best of myself and the best of my time to writing a great script, you know, that's going to employ hundreds of people and hopefully entertain millions of people. So um, it, it's, it's an act of service for me to try to, to, to put the best of myself towards, um, you know, where I can make the most impact. And so to me, it's about, it's not necessarily about to-do lists or time management. It's actually about managing your energy and, and deploying it um, uh, where, where you can be most effective. That, that's what was most helpful to me. I wish I followed that. Yeah. But I'm telling you, if you can wall off three hours of your day when you're the best to doing to accomplishing your dreams and ambitions, the amount of work and do it daily to me, like we so are our habits, you know, uh, be consistent, consistency, you just consistency to me. It's like climbing a mountain. It's just like you, you wake up and you just take a few more steps and, uh, and it's not really about burst inspiration. It's just about a daily grind, you know? And, uh, if you can, but, but if you, if you don't have, you know, you know, what I tell people is, is get a grind that will inch you towards your goal, you know? And then, you know, while others are waiting for this big epiphany or this big moment, you know, you'll have inched along and, you know, you'll, you know, all of a sudden you blink your eyes and it's been a couple of years and you're standing on some stage, you know, and, uh, you know, and you're, you're participating in, in what you dreamed of. So to me, a dream is like a destination and it just takes time to get there. The bigger the dream, the farther it is away. And so it's important to have a daily rhythm, you know, that will get you towards your goal. And so to me, it's just about saying, when am I best and what's most important and unifying those two together and trying to build a, like a castle around that amount of time. Yeah, that's, that's phenomenal advice. Um, and now I got to get into family. You know, you have chosen a partner, a business partner to be, you know, that happens to be your brother. And as my wife reminds me all the time, <laughs> my, my wife reminds me quite a bit. She says, Dustin... I get the best of you and I get the worst of you. So in any relationship, you get the best of the other person, you get the worst of them. Yeah. This is someone you grew up with that knows you really, really well. And yet you decided to continue in a partnership. So I must ask kind of a twofold of how did you do it? How have you done it? And Hollywood has a way of tearing apart relationships. How do you remain loyal? Um, when others are probably offering you the world? Well, um, you know, I think with my brother and I, we've been working together since I was, um, 
really since I was 12 and he was 15, we, we got, we boards at a cable station um, and they gave us keys to the cable station. So we went in there, we learned all the gear better than the employees knew it. So they would pay us $10 a night to do these shows. And then when I was, when my, when my dad bought me that camera, uh, as a teenager, he got me a loan for um, uh, $10,000. And we got sort of a, the, one of the first Mac edit suites that you could actually sort of quasi edit uh, stuff with. And, and, uh, and we, you know, we were sort of in business and my brother and I've always, you know, look, it's a, it's a, there's a ton of conflict in the relationship. I think that's good. I think if it's the right kind of conflict, I think what we say is we fight problems, not each other. We have a culture where the best idea wins, you know? And, yeah. uh, and, you know, in every, um, in every season, you just have to sort of, you know, find your way in that season, you know? And I think to me, uh, family businesses can be very powerful, but they can also be very volatile. So you have to <laughs> yeah. find a rhythm to sort of get out of each other's hair, you know, for times. And, and, uh, but I think that there's something pretty dynamic about our relationship. There's another great book called, um, to just to the dreamers out there called traction. And, uh, the follow-up to that book is called rocket fuel. And, uh, it's about basically the relationship between a visionary sort of entrepreneur and an implementer. And, uh, and that's always been Andy and I's relationship. And so to me, you got to find a partner in business that complements your skill set. I don't believe in working on your weaknesses in business. I think that's stupid. Like work on your weaknesses in your marriage and your personal life. But in business, just recruit your way out of them. Unless what you do is like you're the you know sole proprietor. Like you're the, if you work on a team, the, the art of teams is to just have self-awareness and humility and know where you're great and know where you're really weak and recruit your way out of those weaknesses so you can focus on your strengths. And so to me, with Andy and I, you know, I'm a, I'm a crazy dreamer. What we say is like, we'd never start anything. We'd never start anything if it was for Andy. We'd never finish anything if it wasn't for me. So I, I like to, <laughs> I like to, I like to have ideas. I like to start them. I like to, you know, so we, we start, and he loves to finish. He's like single focus, you know, single track mind. And we have incredible teams of people underneath us, you know? And so um, I'm not going to say it's, it, it hasn't been fraught with conflict, you know? But I think we're fighting for the right things. We're not fighting to be right. We're not fighting for status. We're fighting to create the best product possible that entertains the most people. And we're just coming at it from two different perspectives. And so it creates this really healthy culture for everybody because they see us arguing it out. And so they feel like everybody has a voice. I hope people feel like they'll have a voice. And, you know, the best idea is going to win, you know, and the best idea is going to survive conflict, you yeah. know. And so, it's been, you know, my God, it's been um, in earnest about 20 years. The yeah, other thing that's interesting time. is my dad said, my dad said, I guess 25 since I was 12. Um, so my dad said when he bought me that camera and he got us alone, he said, if you give 20 years of your life to something, you'll be a, a master of it. You know, and I think that we've lost that idea of really dedicating a large percentage of time and a long runway to really learning something well. And it was 20 years almost to the day between him saying that and the breakout success of I can only imagine. Uh, so I think that, again, if you have a dream and if you have a big dream, I think what people don't realize is it's going to take you longer than you think to get there. But it's worth it, you know, if you if you'll keep going. And I think one of the biggest things is, again, if you're like, if what you want to do is sort of almost like a life's calling, the key is just not to give up. I think people that fail are people are the ones that just give up too quickly, you know? And if you can match a certain level of resilience with curiosity and trying to figure the problem out, you know, eventually you'll win, 
you know, if you just stay in the game long enough. Wow, that's great advice. And what's this, what's it been like on the household? I mean, as as your family has seen you grow up, become the dad, become the become the innovator, the yeah. uh, the, the the successful. What's it been like for them to see this? Because many times I find that they will live vicariously through you. They they kind of have to. Like all eyes are, are on you. How have you found that balance? And are you still yeah. learning how to find the balance? Oh man, I yeah, yeah, you'd probably be able to give me more advice. I'm I'm still learning, I think, the balance between um I, I'm not a balanced person. I'm I'm sort of a a um uh I'm relentless, you know, and sort of like I obsess over things and and uh so I think that I've found that with, with my family, you know, the entertainment industry, you know, Beth and I are going on 16 years this month and we have four kids That's and, incredible. Uh, and, and, you know, it's been a relentless climb to the top and the entertainment industry is just not built to, it's not, <laughs> for, you know, people not with not happy, happy families. Yeah, it's like, no, look, no. we don't think it's good for you. We'd like for you to go in this other it's, direction, I mean, John. You know, when I when I direct the film, I'm gone for a long time, and and uh, you know the entertainment industry as a whole is just a very it's a, it's a business of hyper competition, and so you really have to fight uh, to to uh, it, you know I think it takes a lot of intention, and you know intention that I could do a better job at to to just keep uh, normalcy within the entertainment industry and, and just to know that like look it's it's you know I, I I've had the privilege to know some people that have accomplished incredible things and are at the very top of my industry but they're not happy you know and i think a part of that is because they don't have really meaningful relationships in their life you know because a lot of the industry has robbed it to them robbed it from them. you just have to know that that's the way it goes for a lot of people and, and I, you know i don't want to do that so so it's it's a it's a it's a process it's not easy at all you know and uh and i'm, I'm grateful that uh, beth is uh you know stuck it out and uh and, and I'm, you know, I love my kids and love my family and love what I get to do. Uh, but a lot of times those things are, are not necessarily they're kind of yeah. at war with each other just they, because they, of the way the industry is set up. Absolutely. So it, it, it is tough. And while I, I have like a tiny, tiny fraction of like one millionth of the percent of all the cool stuff you've done. Uh, but this past year, having been out around the world and four countries filming, uh, cool. it, it takes a toll. I mean, from Liechtenstein yeah, to Scotland, I was in Singapore um, and yeah, you, you have to have a very supportive family, uh, but then you have to find that balance of, to see them when you're with them, to actually yeah. see them. And I, and I get reminded that quite a bit yeah. saying, don't forget to see. Uh, yeah. Me. I and think I, that's, yeah, I think the biggest thing is like, wherever you are, you just like be there, you know? And I think yeah. just to, to be, pre when you're at home, to be present and to, to be, um, you know, there instead of your mind being somewhere else is like really hard it's like it's 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 one of life's great quests is. is to Isn't just sort it of be tough? present because in the moment you, you are a high, really tough you're a high performance individual your brain is a ferrari yeah. it just keeps i got an idea an aha moment yeah and those those yeah. come to you quite a bit i imagine yeah yeah and it's tough to to know when um they're going to be there and then you try to catch it when they are and and uh so yeah it's, it's not it, it requires a lot it, it requires a certain level of being proactive you know and, uh, and that's not easy. And so let's talk about your grandpa. So this, this story is one of all the stories you've heard. It touched you more personally because this is how you got here that without your grandfather, yeah. you wouldn't be here without the decisions, the choices, and quite frankly, staying alive. So yeah. as you delved more, yeah, quite, in, yeah, in, yeah, quite in, literally, <laughs> quite literally. 
So tell us about what did, what was your takeaway? So you started this probably this ambitious project with, I'm going to tell a story. What did you learn yeah. about your family? Well, in this? The, well, yeah, the book Beyond Valor is sort of a 15-year journey for me. And I remember my granddad uh, was recipient of the Medal of Honor. Uh, the Medal of Honor is our nation's uh, highest military award. It's given for acts uh, that go above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, so, uh, and I remember he was horribly burned. He, um, he carried a bomb that erupted inside an airplane from the middle of the plane to the front of the plane, sort of a superhuman act of courage and, uh, and threw it out just as they were at 300 feet wow. about to crash into the ocean and they pulled out and, uh, it started a series of irregular events that, that, uh, led to the, uh, the fastest pre- that we know of, the fastest presentation uh, of the Medal of Honor uh, on, uh, in, in history, and in our nation's history, all happened in a week. And uh, I remember being probably six or seven years old, and he let me hold it and said over my shoulder words that I didn't understand at the time but would understand later, you know, freedom isn't free. And, uh, and I knew he was burned. I just didn't care. I hate to say it. As I was a teenager, I didn't listen to his war stories. He had this really photographic memory. I didn't really care. And it really wasn't until his funeral that um, it's like that moment when your eyes are open. The uh, there was like all these, all of these military honors. There was generals there. There was always people, a member, a, a, a bomber for the 20th Air Force. It was sleeting rain, got down below the clouds, tipped its wings. And I remember these two um, uh, buglers were, were playing taps a, a couple hundred feet away from each other. And I went over to one of them and just said, um, thank you for what you did for like this. Cause they sat, sat in like the sleeting rain for like two hours. And our family was just like, sorry, you had to do this kind of sucks uh, for, for our family. They said, no, your, your, your granddad's one of our nation's heroes. And uh, this is our honor. And instantly I was just like this wave of regret. Like what in the world did I miss? Who was my grandfather? And that led to a journey of going um, uh, around the country and finding before they died um, all of his, you know, the, the two surviving crew members and his brothers and other B-29ers, which was a part of the airplane that he um, flew on and just discovering the story, just discovering a story of, of a, a sort of this race against time, story of love and story of courage. And, and that really sort of shaped my legacy to understand, you know, what he did and what heroism really is, what the Medal of Honor represents. So I remember talking to Gary Luttrell, who was the president of the Medal of Honor Society at the time, the, um, aircraft carrier in Charleston where the Medal of Honor Museum is and just said, you know, how in the world do you guys do these things? These sort of spontaneous acts of courage and like superhuman, like how do you dive on a grenade? How does my grandfather do what he does? And he just said, you know, it's in that moment when you don't have a time time to decide. You just do it because you love the person beside you. You do it for them. And uh, he said, you know, your generation doesn't understand really what the Medal of Honor is, what it represents, how sort of American it is to go above and beyond the call of duty. So for me, I realized that something that I could do in my own life as well is I could go above and beyond. You know, you can always do more than is required of you. So the goal was just to tell the story. And then so finally, my grandmother uh, passed away. She had a stack of letters that she would never let us uh, read that were all of his love letters to her during the war. And after having those, I felt like, hey, we just need to get the story written and we need to write a book and uh, need to get the story told. So I, I love... Um, a nonfiction. I love biographies. I love military biographies. I, I read them a lot. So I hope that for, for the community of people that, that, uh, that dig this stuff, it's a, it's a great story and, uh, it's a meaningful story. It's a story of courage and love. And, uh, 
And I hope that I, you know we fulfilled what Gary uh, told told us to do, which is to just remind all of us maybe that you know the the freedom that we have isn't free, and it was uh, it was paid for uh, by heroes. I remember my grandfather always said, you know, I I'm not a hero. The people that didn't come back, the men and women that didn't come back, they're the heroes. I wear this medal for them, and uh, and so hopefully it'll remind us all of those things. And I hope also that people will take the same quest that I took um, because it does become fuel. Like find out who your parents are, find out who your grandparents are, find out who your great grandparents are. If they're still here, spend some time with them because good or bad, it can be fuel for you. And you are the heir to their story. You have inherited their story. That's right. I mean, legacy is sort of something that you receive and something that you give and you can't, you know, really give the right legacy, I think, until you understand your own, good or bad. It can either be a, I want to live up to this, or hey, I'm going to change this, I want to be different, you know, um, whatever it is. But taking the time to understand where you come from really helps you determine where you're going to go. And uh, it can be fuel for where you want to go. And, uh, and this process was really helpful to me in that regard. You know, I think that his story became like a beacon for all the stories that we tell. So, it would be cool if people that read the book took the time, if their great grandparents are alive, you know, there's so few of that greatest generation left. Like just sit down and listen, like just shut up and listen. Cause their stories are amazing, you know, uh, or your grandparents or whatever. It's just, uh, it's, it was a really meaningful thing for me to go do. Absolutely. Yeah. I believe that his story or his story, her story equals air story. It's our story that everything, oh, everything that has happened around us and every story has a purpose. And it's what you're going to do with it. And I admire, John, what you've done with your story. You inherited one that was a hero, the hero's hero. Then you inherited a man that worked at a radio station and said, I'm going to run against a lot of, probably a lot of scumbags that he was fighting. He had to fight (laughs) clean. And yet he believed in his sons to the point where uh, he said, "I'm I'm willing to help you guys and be there for you. And now look what you've done with it. It's quite remarkable how far you've come, John. Well, I, I appreciate it. And look, I think that we all, we all have, you know, we all have a gift. We all have, when you discover sort of that thing that just, um, that makes you come alive, you know, and, uh, that, that you, you know, you just start, there's things that we can all do. There's things that we were born to do. When you discover one of those things that you're sort of born to do, and then you do it for the benefit of others, you do it for reasons beyond yourself. Life gets really cool and life gets really fulfilling. And, uh, you know, we all, we all have a, a dream to chase. Um, and it's not easy. The, the, it's not easy at all, but, uh, but, but it's cool. It's worth it when you can sort of get in a place where you can live in your passion every day. And look, I'm, I'm one of those lucky people because of the people that, you know, like you that have watched the films, you know, we like, I tell people like my boss are the fans, like people that, well, I'm an entertainer, man. So the people that watch this stuff and buy it, uh, it's, uh, that's the reason I get to do what I do. And I'm very grateful. And I hope to, uh, to keep doing it, you know, and telling stories that, that uplift and inspire, well, whether it's a book or a movie. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us on the Life's Tough podcast. Life's Tough. John Irwin is tougher. Thanks again, John. Hey. <laughs> Great conversation, man. I really appreciate it. It's fun. Thank you so much, John, for joining us on Life's Tough. You could be tougher. Well, my takeaway was courage. Courage isn't a brilliant dash, a daring deed in a moment's flash. It isn't an instantaneous thing born of despair with a sudden spring. It isn't a creature of flickered hope or the final tug at a slipping rope, but it's something deep in the soul of man that is working always to serve some plan. Courage isn't the last resort, 
in the work of life or the game of sport. It isn't a thing that a man can call at some future time when he's apt to fall. If he hasn't it now, he will have it not when the strain is great and the pace is hot. For who would strive for a distant goal must always have courage within his soul. Courage isn't a dazzling light that flashes and passes away from sight. It's a slow, unwavering, ingrained trait with the patience to work and the strength to wait. It's part of a man when his skies are blue. It's part of him when he has work to do. The brave man never is freed of it. He has it when there is no need of it. Courage was never designed for show. It isn't a thing that can come and go. It's written in victory and defeat, and every trial a man may meet. It's part of his hours, his days, and his years. Back of his smiles and behind his tears. Courage is more than a daring deed. It's the breath of life and a strong man's creed. Edgar A. Guest. I encourage you to find your courage. To look for it. It is in deep inside of you. And as you'll find in reading John's book, that courage is a part of his family's story and what got him here. Thank you so much for joining us. Life's tough. You can be tougher.